Welcome to our audio podcast for Sunday, March the 29th. I'm Pastor Dale Dawson. It's good to have you with us. I do want to say greetings to you and to let you know that we are missing one another. Uh, It's been far too long that we have not been in uh, physical contact with one another, worshiping in our normal way, and we are eagerly anticipating when that uh, day will come, we'll be able to return to our normal worship. I do want to assure you of our concern and prayer for each one. We are thinking of you and lifting you up. We're thinking of our seniors and uh, those with underlying medical conditions uh, for whom this could be a time of increased uh, concern and anxiety. We're thinking of those who are dealing with illness and all of the questions and increased difficulties that this battle with COVID-19 brings along. We're thinking of those who have been adversely affected economically. Maybe you've been laid off of work or you have altered work conditions and uh, that's making things difficult. Or perhaps uh, you're one of those and we're thinking especially of uh, those who are working in adverse conditions like our medical um, personnel, our first responders, our healthcare providers of all kinds our community and business leaders, and we want to shout out to you and say how grateful we are for you, how truly um, thankful we are for your service and skills that you bring to bear at these difficult times. Our prayers are for your safety and protection and for your um, strength to be renewed. Of course, we're also thinking about families and children uh, of, uh, in, in these days when uh, the, the whole uh, dynamic of life has been changed. Children are wondering what this means about their education. Those in college and university are wondering what this means about their own progress and, uh, and uh, graduation. And then there are those who, uh, because of the physical isolation, are feeling alone and uh, you know, it's truly our, our prayer that uh, being alone does not mean uh, feeling lonely, but we want you to know that we're with you and uh, praying for God's uh, blessing upon you. I want to address the issue of COVID-19 and just to say this, uh, that we uh, as God's people must do everything that we can to ensure the health and safety of everyone. We are to comply with the guidance given by our best medical authorities and government authorities. I want to remind you that this is a spiritual obligation as well as a civil and ethical obligation. It's a spiritual obligation because it is our Lord who has placed these authorities over us for our good. And so we honor our God as we uh, honor our uh, civil authorities. I want to ask the question, how are we looking after each other? How will we do this in this time? And um, I want to I want you to understand that we have chosen to divide up our entire contact list into small groups, including life groups. Uh, and the purpose of this is that uh, we would be able to engage in Sunday worship together. We're hoping that much of the communication has already been done, uh, but if you've not been contacted by a virtual host to this point, um, or you've not been connected into a group, please uh, email uh, Pastor Kathy or myself uh, or uh, Keith Daly, and we'll try to get you connected. I'd like to encourage you to think of this in a hopeful and positive way. This is an opportunity for us to learn other ways of connecting that we probably wouldn't pursue otherwise. 
It's a way of expressing our creative and innovative talents and to meet the current situation with confidence. And I believe that's what God would have us do. Let me remind you as well that our God is here for you. He's not distant. He hasn't left us to our own devices. Our God is here for you. And we are here for one another. If you need uh, help, if you need a friend, uh, reach out to us. We'd be glad to speak with you. I want to encourage you, today has been a day um, set aside for prayer and fasting for the wider church, coordinated by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. I believe that you've received some uh, communication regarding uh, this time of prayer, and would encourage you to be a part of it. Just as I wrap up these greetings here, let me say this. Our, our, our Lord's word to us all is, be at peace, be at peace. In John 14, 27, when Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure, he said to them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I trust you'll take these words to heart and that you will not let fear sway your confidence and that you will allow the peace of Christ to bubble up into joy and thanksgiving. May God bless you. Well, I'd like now to turn to our uh, meditation on the word for this Lord's Day. And we're returning to our study of the letter uh, uh, to the Philippians. And we're picking it up at uh, chapter 3 and verse 17, and our focus will uh, carry right through to chapter 4 and verse 1. This passage, as you've already read it together, exhorts us to follow Paul's example. Uh, we, we are to see him as one who sets the, the pattern for us. We are to live as fellows of the cross of Christ, uh, those who are committed to the cross of Christ and it's, uh, in all of its meaning. And we are to affirm our citizenship in heaven, that heaven is our homeland. We are to eagerly await the return of our beloved Savior and the resurrection of the body that comes at his return. So this, uh, this section of Paul's letter is about Christian life in light of Christian hope. It's a message of hope. It's a message of, uh, of expectation. And this is what we need in our context. We need hope. We need uh, an understanding of what is, uh, we need to set our hearts on what is beyond uh, what we can see and uh, embrace with our physical senses. Paul gives us some direction in this uh, portion of his letter as to how we are to live in hope. And uh, here's, here's how he says it. This is how I would uh, express it. The first is this, choose to live with distinction. Choose to live with distinction. That is, choose to live differently. Choose to live according to the difference that Christ makes. Live in that faith. Here are Paul's words, uh, beginning at verse 17 of chapter 3. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. 
Now, right there, Paul is doing something very bold, saying to us that we are to follow his example and follow the example of those who are living as Paul does. That is, living in a way that exalts the cross of Christ, that follows the pattern of Christ in his own crucifixion and resurrection. This is the way of hope and expectation for us. In verse 18, Paul goes on to say, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Well, you can hear the heaviness of Paul's heart as he says this. He says that, uh, he expresses this with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul calls us to be those who are fellows of the cross or friends of the cross of Christ. We're to live cruciform lives. The danger that Paul sees for us is that we would be distracted or drawn away by the concerns of this passing life and so live as enemies of the cross of Christ, not drawing our hope uh, from the work of Christ. Paul says that there are um, some specifics that follow in the lives of those who live this way as enemies of the cross of Christ. And this is meant to be a warning to us. So firstly, he says their destiny is destruction. Notice here that Paul begins with the end in mind. It's the matter of ultimate concern. It's, for Paul, the matter of ultimate concern is the destination at the end of the journey. How you get there is not so important as where you end up. You know, you're, you're willing to uh, take a much more difficult path so long as it gets you to where you want to be. But if you don't care where you're going, you go any way you feel like going, And usually that means you take the path path of least resistance and least foresight. There are many who take this approach to life. There are a lot of people who are on a path, but they don't know where it's going. That is dangerous. Well, you remember that Paul began this letter on a note of joy because he was sure of one thing. He was sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That's destination until the day of Christ Jesus. That's chapter one, verse six. A little bit later in that chapter, verse 19, Paul expresses another confidence that even his imprisonment will work out for deliverance, he says. And that word deliverance actually is the word salvation with all of the fullness of the meaning it implies. Paul says that whether he is executed or released, his ultimate salvation is secured in Christ. He's speaking of his ultimate destination. It's confidence in that heavenly destination, which gives confidence in every other step along the way. So here's the all-important question for us. Are you sure of your destination? Are you sure of where you will spend eternity? Are you sure of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know that you will spend eternity with him? The destination is so important. Those who are enemies of the cross of Christ progress toward destruction. Actually, Paul spells out in uh, in three very pointed ways uh, what this destruction consists in. The first is this, that their God is their belly or their God is their stomach. It means this devotion to self-indulgence. 
It's the appetites and the emotions that have become the gods. People who live in this way live to satisfy their depraved desires. Their whole life is governed by self-pleasing in these physical bodily matters. If I'm hungry, I just eat to satisfy the desire. If I'm tired, I sleep. If I'm aroused sexually, I indulge. No thought of consequences, no thought of ultimate purposes. Think about it. You live simply to satisfy the appetites of the body. If we live this way, well, well, Darwin would be so proud. He says this is what, what uh, the, the consummation of human life is. But in reality, your life would be empty and meaningless. You have nothing higher to serve than your own base instincts. Think about this. <clears throat> if I allow myself to be defined by my bodily desires, well, that's what I become. And there are many people who are, who are pushing for just this kind of thing today. If I define myself by my sexual urges, I become nothing more than a composite of sexual urges. Where is the dignity? Where is the nobility? Where's the humanity in that? Don't fall to that lie. Live as friends of the cross of Christ. Here's the second description of this. Paul says, those who live as enemies to the cross of Christ, their glory is in their shame. Essentially, Paul is saying that what they take to be glorious is actually shameful, and what they take to be shameful is actually glorious. It's the next step in the downward path to destruction. They give themselves first to indulgence, and then next they justify themselves in saying that this is proper and an allowable way of life. A long time ago, the prophet Isaiah saw the very same thing in the life of his nation. And he observed those who call evil good and good evil. He noted two aspects of their reversal of moral standards. He said they put darkness for light and light for darkness. And they put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This confusion of values leads to a whole confusion of life. They've turned morality upside down. That's what evil does. That's what uh, living for the present moment does. It means we place our glory in our shame. And finally, uh, Paul says this, <clears throat> be mindful of this, their mind is set on earthly things. This is the diagnosis of the root trouble in the lives of those who have not embraced Christ. Their minds are set on earthly things. They cannot live as citizens of heaven. There's another passage in Paul's writings where he reveals why the world is under the wrath of God. Romans, uh, Paul says, men suppress the truth. And although they know God or knew God, they did not honor him as God. Paul says their thinking became futile. He says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. He says they did not see fit to acknowledge God. And the result of this is that God gave them up to their base mind. It's the rebellion of the mind from God that ends up being this, the, the, the drive that leads to this destruction. Paul has other uh, statements that are helpful to us as we understand this. Uh, and in Philippians, in chapter 4 and verse 8, he, he tells us that we are to set our minds on things that are truly valuable. Uh, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, 
lovely, gracious. Think about these things. So what is Paul's message to us? He says, do not live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Rather, live as citizens of heaven. Live with distinction. Choose the cross and the fullness of its implications. The cross makes way for the resurrection. Paul goes on to give us another indication of how we are to live uh, in this time. Uh, I, I say it this way. Choose to live with expectation. Expectation. That is, we're people of hope. Listen to what he says in verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Well, what is Paul saying here? He's telling us to live as citizens of heaven. He reminds these believers that their true citizenship is in heaven. You will remember that Philippi is an outpost colony of Rome. And they're proud to be that outpost colony. They are the first arrival of the empire that will soon govern the whole land. But Paul reminds the Philippian believers that they have a higher citizenship. They are an outpost of heaven. Because the rule of heaven is on its way. And God's will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. God's rule will be uncontested in the full arrival of the kingdom. And these are citizens of heaven who await the coming of the king. They live in light of that kingdom, which is yet to come in its fullness. Live as citizens of heaven. And then Paul goes on to say, eagerly await the Savior. As citizens of heaven, they, they wait for the king to come. They look forward for the savior who is to come from heaven. Just like Roman citizens would look forward to the arrival of the Caesar to their outpost colony so that he could claim what is his, Christ too is coming. The blessings which the returning Lord brings are great. They're very great. And uh, they are the object of our hope, but they're not the primary object. The, the first longing of the believer is for the Lord himself. We await a savior. And Paul says it in its full um, term here, the Lord Jesus Christ. The verb that expresses this eagerness of anticipation is a strong one. Uh, it reminds me of the experience I have when I'm conducting a wedding ceremony and I'm at the platform with uh, the groom and the groomsmen and we are awaiting the entrance of the bride into the auditorium. And uh, I like to watch the face of the groom in those moments because there's an anxious uh, uh, waiting and then finally the doors open and the, the bride enters and the, the face of the groom changes and uh, uh, it's, it, you can see that his expectation has been met in the arrival of his bride. Um, it suggests, th this, th that's the, the, the notion of yearning for the one who is to come. It suggests an eye that is detached from every other object and focused fully upon that one delight that is to come. That's how we see Jesus. That's how we have hope in the midst of the struggles that we face. Jesus is coming. We're citizens of the kingdom, citizens of a higher 
civilization than just what we see around us. And so there's no need to be distracted by the disappointments that are around us. The Apostle Peter has a great way of saying this. I just love these words from 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, we look forward to all kinds of blessing when the Lord returns. But what we look for most is to see our Savior and to be with him. That's the nature of expectation. That's how we live with expectation above every circumstance in this passing world. Finally, the third thing that I think we can draw from Paul's teaching here is that we are to choose to live with endurance. We are living between the times, between the cross and resurrection of Christ and his second coming uh, when he will uh, bring the kingdom of God in its fullness. So we need to live with endurance as we uh, bear with um, this, uh, this, uh, this passing of time while we await his coming. Endurance is what is needed. Verse 1 of chapter 4 <clears throat> says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, just think of this wonderful expression of affection Paul has for these people, the affection of the believers together. Paul says to them, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Stand firm in the Lord. Paul is encouraging these Philippians that they need to, they need to have their feet solidly on the, on the ground. Uh, they're in the midst of enemies, and especially those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. This is a real danger. There's a danger that the, the believers will be drawn away by this present threat. And uh, they, they, they can have their mind and heart drawn from the hope that is before them. When the great Greek hero Ulysses was traveling to the island of the Sirens, he knew that he would go mad when he heard the voices of the women on the rocks as they enticed him to dash the ship on the rocks. But he also learned that the insanity would be temporary. It would last only until he could get out of so he put wax in the ears of the sailors so they wouldn't hear the siren call. And then he had them tie him to the mast. And he told his men to keep on course no matter what he said, no matter how much he threatened. And uh, he knew that he had to endure through so that he could get to the goal. <clears throat> We're called to face challenges to Christ's coming kingdom with joy and confidence. Paul's word to us in our time is don't fear. Don't shrink back. The victory is not in doubt. You will not be put to shame. Press on in the good things that God has called you to do. Keep on living as members of the heavenly colony of God here on earth, despite the hardship, despite the opposition, despite the distractions, despite the disappointments. Be good soldiers. Be citizens of the kingdom. We need to understand this. The enduring spirit of Christ indwells us as believers. It's Christ's own spirit who endured you know, that is within us. 
You remember the, the teaching of the author to the Hebrews that it is our Christ as he faced his cross who endured it. He scorned its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That means he persevered through to the throne of God. In verse 3 of Hebrews 12, the author carries it on. He, he exhorts us this way, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My friends, let us not grow weary and lose heart. The same Christ who endured the cross and pressed through to the glory of exaltation at the right hand of God, he lives within us and he's calling us to press on. Let's live as citizens of heaven. Let's live as those who await the coming of our Lord. Let's live as those who have expectation and our expectation leads us to endure the trials to receive the prize. I like the way the the message paraphrase puts this passage, Hebrews 12, verse 3. It says this, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in old days. May God give us grace to receive his word and to, to bring it to full expression in our lives. May God allow us to express our, our love and concern and unity. <clears throat> and uh, may we be a blessing to one another. I'd like to lead you in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for the privilege of sharing together in this way. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the constancy of your love. Thank you for the power of your deliverance. We pray that you would keep us as your body, together, united, forward-moving, ever-yearning for the coming of Christ. And Lord, that uh, our joy might be made full and that peace, your peace, would rest with us. Let it be. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus and for his kingdom's sake. Amen.